you, Pastor Milt. Good morning, everyone. Yep. Uh, like Milt said, my name is Mike. I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning um, and those of you watching online. Uh, if you have been with us for a little bit, we took a little bit of a series break over the holidays uh, to celebrate the Christmas season, but we're jumping back in to a series called uh, Reordered, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's a series where we call it Reorder because Jesus comes in and flips upside down everything we thought about life and God and being blessed and what it means to have purpose. Um, and we, we, when I say we're jumping back in, we're literally jumping like right back into the deep end to one of Jesus's hardest teaching, not only in this Sermon on the Mount, but in all of the Gospels. It's Jesus's teaching on forgiving one another. Uh, so this, this teaching is, is hard and difficult for a lot of reasons, but I think at least two to note. One is this, that it's impossible to talk about the idea of forgiveness without talking about what, by definition, precedes the need to forgive someone. The hurt and the pain and the heartache that someone has caused us. I know that even the word forgiveness might elicit some emotions in this room because it's connected to a hurt that you hold. And it's true, we've all been hurt and hurt others. In this study, I've had to kind of wrestle through some of my pains in my past that I've forgiven people from and some pains that I had thought I had forgiven people of that it turns out I really hadn't. And in a room this size and watching online, they can't imagine the, the depth and level of hurts and pains that you may have come across. Because it's true that some offenses are easy to forgive, like someone accidentally bumps into you in the hallway, or someone tells you that The Last Jedi was a good movie. Those things are easy to have pity on them and compassion uh, and forgive them of their trespasses. <laughs> but in all seriousness, there are times when forgiveness is very hard. Because that word that they said, or maybe the lie they told, or the promise that they broke, or the act that they did hurt so badly that the pain makes seeking forgiveness feel like trying to scale Everest. Or there's times when forgiveness just seems impossible. That the hurt or abuse or harm is so great that even the thought of forgiving them seems offensive. The first reason that forgiveness is so hard is because forgiveness is always connected to hurt. But the other reason forgiveness is hard, I think, is because we're actually confused about forgiveness, especially when we look at our culture's view on forgiveness. So in the last few years, you've noticed that awarenesses of abuses and injustices and assaults have become more prominent with movements like Me Too and Time's Up and others dominating the headlines. We are not a culture striving to offer forgiveness, but one seeking accountability and justice and sometimes even vengeance. Cancel culture and the online social media offense hunting to bring to light people's sins and indiscretions fill our feeds and the way our political atmosphere demonizes anyone with opposing views of ours. Forgiveness is not only forgotten, it's seen as wrong. And it's hard because wanting justice, true justice and goodness in the world is not wrong. But what place does forgiveness have in our world today? 
I'm indebted to Dr. Tim Keller for his uh, work on this topic. And I actually, I recommend his latest book, which is appropriately titled Forgive. And his influence on my understanding of, of true forgiveness is immense. And, and he argues, and I think he's right, that part of that confusion in our culture is because the culture has only really given us three options when it comes to forgiveness. He argues the first one he calls non-conditional forgiveness. Forgiveness without conditions. Forgiveness with no strings attached. You might have heard the phrase forgive and forget. Especially attached to religious concepts around forgiveness. That if someone hurts you, the best way to move on and to be emotionally healed is just to let it go. Move on. Just forgive and forget. But if any one of you has ever tried that, <laughs> it doesn't work. You can't just simply wish away the pain or the hurt. And to forgive and forget leaves no room for any acts of true justice, any consequences to behavior, and leaves someone exposed to being hurt by that person again. Non-conditional forgiveness doesn't heal and doesn't deal with justice. So then there's the second forgiveness he calls transactional forgiveness. Being willing to offer forgiveness to someone if they meet a list of demands to earn our forgiveness. It's the, I'll forgive you if. If you pay me back this amount. If you suffer this much. If you admit that what you did was wrong. If you promise never to do again. Forgiveness with conditions. But is that truly forgiveness? Because first, if our healing and wholeness is attached to someone else's decisions, what if they don't do our demands? Will the hurt and hole in us ever be healed? But also, maybe even more importantly, this means using forgiveness as a weapon, as a tool to force someone else's behavior. That isn't forgiveness. That's manipulation. Transactional forgiveness, forgiveness with demands isn't forgiveness. So then there's the last and final option that's increasingly growing in popularity. No forgiveness. Saying, I will never forgive you. You don't deserve forgiveness. The pain and harm is too great. I will never, ever forgive you for what you've done. And to be honest, friends, when the abuse or harm is so great, this is a tempting option. But in the end, it may feel like power, but it does nothing to heal the brokenness and the wounding has caused. No one ever healed through unforgiveness. But is there a better way? A truer forgiveness that doesn't compromise justice, that doesn't leave our hurts exposed, and one that allows us to be free from the chains that unforgiveness holds us in. Yes, and it's the forgiveness that Jesus spoke of that on the surface sounds harsh and even offensive when he said the words that we read. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So to answer what Jesus is talking about here, we're actually going to ask ourselves two questions this morning. First, what does it mean to forgive? And secondly, how does Jesus free us to forgive? So let's, let's jump in that uh, together. What does it mean to forgive? So 
I would argue perhaps the best kind of teaching or picture of the story of forgiveness and what it means is actually found a little bit later in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 18. So go ahead, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 21, but it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. So it's kind of long. So if you want to turn there, you can follow along, but if not, you just want to listen and I'll just read it. So this section starts off with the disciple Peter coming up to Jesus with a question. So if you want to listen or follow along with me, uh, I'll read uh, Matthew 18, starting verse 21. Then Peter came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Peter comes up to Jesus with this question about forgiveness, asking how many times to forgive someone. And undoubtedly, Peter probably thought pretty highly of himself because of his suggestion of up seven times. Because in that day, the Talmud, which was a, uh, a teaching about the Jewish law, said you only needed to forgive somebody up to three times. So here Peter is being awesome, saying, hey, up to seven times? And what is Jesus' response? No, not seven, but 77 times. One commentator I read put it like this. Jesus pretty much told Peter, if you're counting, you're not forgiving. And then Jesus tells a parable. And time prevents us from mining the depths of it all, but the major principles are important for us today. When Jesus teaches in parables, we are meant to find ourselves in the story. So when we look at the characters here, we see a king, which represents God. And we see his servant, which is us. And then we see fellow servants representing those in our lives. And it's in this story that it starts with the servant owing the king a tremendous debt. Now, we don't know why in particular the servant owes the king this money, but we do know that the debt is enormous, 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was approximately 
20 years worth of wages for a laborer. So in today's currency, that means the servant owed the king about $10 billion. Clearly an unpayable amount. And what does that merciful king do? He forgives the dead completely. And that word forgive in this parable is the same word Jesus used back in chapter 6. Afiami. Literally, it means to dismiss or depart or cancel a debt. So the king Afiamis, the servant, cancels his debt owed and redeems his life and the life of those that he loves. Then this very servant goes out and finds a fellow servant who owns, owes him a debt, a hundred denarii. And a denarii was about a day's wages. So a hundred denarii in our currency is closer to around like fourteen and a half thousand dollars. So in other words, to put it in perspective, what the first servant owed the king was 700,000 times more what his fellow servant owed him. But instead of showing him afiami, forgiveness, he forced him to pay his own debt. Upon hearing this, the king took the servant and put him in jail until he paid his debt. And then Jesus comforts us with these words that God would do the same thing to us. <laughs> so what do we learn about forgiveness here? Well, we know this, that the heart of forgiveness is all about like debt relief. <laughs> that forgiveness really means paying off someone else's debt. Another way of saying, I forgive you, is saying, you don't owe me. It's all about paying a debt. But let's look a little deeper because I, I would say there's probably like three components or three elements to forgiveness. And we see them here even in the story. One, something is taken, and then we see something is owed, and then we see forgiveness because someone else pays the debt. Something is taken, something is owed, and someone else pays. So again, in this story, we see the example of forgiveness, that something is taken. The servant took $10 billion from the king, alone or whatever, and therefore something is now owed, either $10 billion or something equivalent to $10 billion, or as we'll see, $10 billion worth of jail and suffering. Whatever it takes to make the debt right, to balance the scales, to pay off the debt. Something taken, now something owed, but then someone else pays for it. In this case, the king. He pays the debt himself. He absorbs it. And therefore, we see forgiveness is given. Something's taken, something's owed, someone else pays. An example of not, forgiven, or not forgiving is the servant to his fellow servant. We still have something taken, you know, $14,500. We still have something owed, $14,500 or the equivalent of $14,500 of suffering. And the first servant makes the other servant pay his own debt back. Someone else does not pay. Forgiveness is not given. So to pull that a little bit clearer, let me give you one more example of this concept. Let's say I loan you my coat, my one and only coat, my precious coat. You borrow it, you take it, and the next day you come back to me and you say, Mike, I've got bad news. I lost your coat. <laughs> well, then I say, I forgive you. You don't owe me. So something was taken, my coat. 
Now something was owed, either my coat or maybe equivalent money for me to buy a new coat. But instead, I say, you don't owe me. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it either by buying myself a new coat. I might pay for it by not having a coat and being cold. But I'll pay for it. You don't owe me. That's forgiveness, paying someone else's debt. So what in the world does that have to do with the hurts and pains and scars we carry from one another? Because some debts, I'll argue, are financial. Some debts might be material, like my coat. But there's another deeper, weightier debt we put each other in, and it's a debt of soul. So what do I mean? It's the debt, not just when somebody takes something from us, but when something, they take something of us, of who we are. It happens when we hear those battering words from someone, you're worthless, you're stupid, you're dirty, you're too broken, unwanted, and unlovable. Those painful words and insults meant to take something of us, our sense of worth, our dignity, our value as a person taken from us. Something's taken, a part of us. A hole made in us, a debt of soul is created. And we are left exposed and hurting and in pain until what is owed is paid back to us. And the greater the hurt, the greater the debt, the greater the pain. The business partner that lied and stole from you and with that took your sense of security, your ability to trust people in your peace. And until that gets paid back, you live in a debt of soul that's shown in anxiety and bitterness and distrust. Maybe the debt of soul created when a friend or family member betrays you, takes your entrusted secrets and gossips them and exposes you, leaving you a hole in you that is marked by shame, by hatred or cynicism, or even deeper still in a room this size, perhaps what someone took from you was even greater. An abuse or assault or even a crime against you that took your innocence, your sense of identity, your sense of security and self-worth and in the debt of your soul that it's so immense it seems impossible that you might ever be able to be made whole again. How do we forgive those soul debts? When we are desperate for what's been taken of us, what's owed to us to be made right again, just forgive and forget with non-conditional forgiveness that ignores the desire for justice and leaves our wounds unhealed, attempt transactional forgiveness that leaves our hope for healing and debt relief in the hands of our perpetrator and is actually not forgiving them because it's using forgiveness as a weapon or just resign ourselves to no forgiveness. Allowing that debt in our soul and the pain to remain and leave us unchained and bound to it. Are those our options? No. There is a greater option, but only if we turn to the one who can truly free us to forgive, Jesus. So how does Jesus free us to forgive? Well, Let's start by starting where Jesus does in this story. It's in the opening of his parable. 
Where does Jesus first start with teaching us about how we forgive one another our debts? By first remembering our own forgiveness. We are free to forgive because in Christ, we are first forgiven. Going back to the story, the servant owed his king a $10 billion debt. The point of that number is that it is an unpayable sum. And the point of that is for us to first understand the debt that each of us owes our king. And how great his mercy is in forgiving us. But you ask, what debt could I owe God? What have I taken or attempted to take from him? Friend, we've tried to take everything, me included. You see, ever since the garden, each one of us, including myself, we've been in the business of growing further and further in debt to God. And it's shown in how we've all tried to live without God in our lives, living as our own God of our lives. We try to take God off his throne in our lives and put ourselves there. What do we take? We take the glory that belongs to God alone that we should have lives pointing to how great he is, giving him credit and him thanks for everything we have in life. But instead, and I'm with you, we point people to ourselves, how great we are. And we take credit for the things God alone has given us. But we not only attempt to take his glory, we attempt to take his rule as God, where all of our lives ought to be bent to following his good and holy commands, that he would rule over our lives. But instead, friends, we run, we rebel from him and follow our own hearts, our own sinful, self-focused hearts. We run from him in how we live, rejecting God in, in the evil deeds that we have by the times where we lie or we hoard, by cheating or lusting or envying or mocking, belittling him and each other, with our words, our actions, our deeds. But it's not just our evil deeds where we run from God. Some of us run from God with our good deeds. Saying we don't need God because look how good we are without him. We're good enough. We're nice enough. Powerful enough. Successful enough. Polite enough. Smart enough. Religious enough without him. We, want, we run from God in our evil deeds, and we can run from God in our good deeds done from evil hearts, all the while in both camps saying, God, I don't need you, and I don't want you. Every thought, every action, every motivation that is centered on us and our own glory and our own rule over our lives instead of God and his glory adds to the debt of sin that grows moment by moment, this, the debt of sin we owe our God. And it's a massive debt deserving of hell. Now, friends, this doesn't diminish any of the hurt and pain someone has in inflicted on you, but it makes us confront the truth that the worst things done against us pale in comparison to the debt of sin we owe our king. Something taken, something owed, and someone else paid for it. Our very king himself he looks at us and says, I forgive you. You don't owe me. 
And how did he pay for it? By the very king entering into the condemnation, shame, and suffering, and the hell of the cross in our place. Our $10 billion debt of sin paid in full by our merciful and just king suffering our cross in our place, the debt paid by his very life to redeem us. It's what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he wrote in Colossians. He said this, And you, beloved church, us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, how? nailing it to the cross. And it makes these other words of the Apostle Paul so powerful that we'll see here. And in fact, you'll see these words ring and echo with the words of Jesus from Matthew 6 when Paul writes this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How does our forgiveness in Christ free us to forgive others? Well, I love how um, David Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote about it from his own experience studying the Sermon on the Mount in this passage. He says this in his studies on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I say to the glory of God and in utter humility that whenever I see myself before God and realize even something of what my blessed Lord has done for me, I am ready to forgive anybody anything. I cannot withhold it. I do not even want to withhold it. True forgiveness breaks a man. And he must forgive. Or, as C.S. Lewis put it, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Before anything else, friends, we are first forgiven. Jesus paid our debt of sin and did for us infinitely more than we could ever do for someone who sinned against us. We are free to forgive because we are first forgiven. But Jesus didn't just pay our debt of sin. Jesus pays our debt of soul. We are free to forgive because in Christ we are made whole. So if you hear nothing else, tune in, listen to this right now. Hear this part. Because this is crucial in understanding how we can forgive those who have sinned against us, who have taken of us, who have created a debt of soul in us, taken our very worth, our peace, our security, our value, our innocence, taken our very selves and left a hole there in us. When those words spoken over us by them have stolen away our worth, we listen to a greater voice. The voice of our king who loves us and paid our debt of sin for us, but pours out his healing and restoration and redemption over every part of us and fills that debt within our souls. You can look at throughout the New Testament, look at just Ephesians chapter 1 if you want, but all throughout Scripture, and see what your king says about you, his beloved. He calls you just that, beloved. You are wanted. 
You are pursued. You are worth dying for. You are his child. You are lavishly loved. You are adopted. You are sealed. You are given a hope and an inheritance. You are desired. You are made beautiful and worthy and clean and innocent and so much more. Those words of the king come into that debt of soul, into our wounded hearts, and pay that debt of whatever they took away from us. Ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times over. You look at those who hurt you with their words, and you can say, I forgive you. You don't owe me because there's nothing you could offer me that I don't have a million times over in Jesus right now. He has paid your debt to me. The family member or business partner that betrayed you and took your trust and security, you can now look to your king who rules over heaven and earth and holds you in the palm of his hands and say to those who hurt you, I forgive you. You don't owe me because I have all the security I ever need in my king. Friends, whatever has been done to you, whatever debt of soul has been created, do not look to your perpetrator to fill you, but look to your king and let him heal and pay that debt and set you free so you can say you don't Oh, me, I have everything and more in Jesus. Do you see, friends, Jesus not only pays our debt of sin, he pays our debt of soul. Again, that's why we can say to anyone, whatever you took from me, whatever you owe me, I forgive you. You don't owe me. I've been made whole in him. The freedom to forgive freed from the debt of our sin, freed from the debt of our soul. And that's why only in Jesus can we truly be free to forgive others. So at this point, you might say, Mike, but what about justice? <laughs> what about holding those to account for the wrong they have done, especially the, the darker, more evil that it is? Friends, there is no doubt God is just. His word makes it abundantly evident that he calls for us to seek justice. And his word also makes it clear that he will not leave the guilty unpunished and honestly not punishing them, but he even disciplines those he loves. So what do we do with that desire in us for justice to be done in the face of evil, even when that evil is done to us? It's forgiveness at odds with justice. Friends, forgiveness doesn't mean we don't call out evil and sin. It doesn't mean we don't hold people to the consequences of their action. It doesn't mean that we don't work for justice and accountability. So how do we hold God's call for justice while simultaneously holding his call to forgive? It takes a supernatural faith of a changed heart. And perhaps the best example I've ever seen of this was in recent history from a, uh, a young woman by the name of Rachel Den Hollander. That name may be familiar for some of you because if you remember, back in 2018, Rachel came forward as a member of the USA Gymnastics team, and she bravely shared about the sexual assault and abuse that she received by team physician Larry Nasser. And after Rachel came forward, dozens if not hundreds of other girls came forward to share about abuse from Nasser. And friends, as a father, of a daughter, I can think of almost nothing darker and more evil and nothing that I could convince myself unworthy of forgiveness than someone sexually abusing my daughter, especially someone that she is supposed to trust. 
But you'll see, for Rachel, not only was she a brave voice, but Rachel is a committed Christian with an understanding of both the radical forgiveness and passionate justice of God. And it was in the courtroom, looking her abuser in the eye, that she said this, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I, ex though I extend that to you as well. Do you see that? Do you see justice and forgiveness in concert together. So the danger with saying we want justice, friends, especially in this culture out there, is that oftentimes when we say we want justice, we're actually wanting the light of justice to illuminate a path to vengeance, to comeuppance, to revenge. But do you see Rachel's response here? She wants justice, but she prays it lights the path to a broken, humble repentance to forgiveness, to mercy, to redemption, even for her enemy. She's been freed to forgive. Because in Christ, we are first forgiven, we are made whole. But we're free to forgive because in Christ we serve a just and merciful king. So if you go back to the king in the parable, you can actually see it. He's radically merciful at forgiving that servant's debt, but is also radically just, if you remember at the end, of holding his evil acts to account at the end of the story. Our King Jesus is the same, both just and merciful. And we see that most clearly at the cross where justice and mercy collide. The justice of our King in the condemnation and wrath our sins deserved fully upon Jesus. It's because of justice, Jesus had to die to save us. But the mercy of God on display, that our king was glad to do it and did it in our place. He is both just and merciful, but friends, he is our king. We don't really understand what that means in America. He is our king. What it does mean is he rules over us. So even as he pays our debt of sin to forgive us and pays our debt of soul to heal us, he rules and reigns over our lives. And when he calls us to forgive, we trust him and we obey him because he is our king. Friends, we are freed by this king to forgive. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Believers, we are both free to, uh, to forgive and commanded to forgive. Not forgiving others to earn God's forgiveness, but we forgive because we are the forgiven. It's who we are. It's all that we are. Forgiveness can be hard. It can be tough. It can take time. But what it can't be for Christians is optional. 
Jesus is saying that if we are absolutely unwilling to forgive others, if we sit here and say no forgiveness, never, then that's a warning that we need to check to make sure we've actually received the forgiveness of God himself. The forgiveness from him that transforms us and reorders us by his grace and reminds us that we are loved and a citizen of his kingdom. We forgive because we are the forgiven. But friends, even now, Satan's whispering in your ear. Satan's working on you trying to convince you not to trust your king and not to forgive. Satan's going to come and he's going to whisper in and says, forgiveness is weakness. It's weak for you to forgive. So let me ask you this. When our king was strung out on that tree, his body broken, being pierced and nailed, and his very murderers pinning him to the cross, and he prays, to the Father over them, what does he pray? Father, forgive them. Was that an act of weakness? No. That was an act of otherworldly, courageous strength. Friends, forgiveness is not weakness. It is strength. But Satan's also going to whisper in your ear. He's going to say, you don't need to forgive them. They don't deserve forgiveness. Friends, a little secret. Deserved forgiveness is an oxymoron. <laughs> it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as deserved forgiveness. If forgiveness was only granted to those who deserved it, you and I would have no hope. Our entire salvation is based on the pr uh, principle that we have received undeserved forgiveness. We forgive because we are the forgiven. But Satan's also going to whisper, maybe even right now, to your ear. And there's deep pain. There's hard pain. There's darkness. Things that you've shoved way down there, that dead of soul in you. And you're simply going to hear what Satan tell you. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's going to cost too much. It's going to take too much. It's too hard. And you know what you say? You're right. You tell him he's right. It is too hard. It's too hard for you to do it yourself. But you are not alone. Your king is with you. Your king is in you. Your king is leading you. You know what it says in Romans 6? This is crazy. You know what it says? It says, The very same Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead, corpse, dead, gone, now alive, forevermore, redeemed, that same Spirit is in you. It's in me. That same spirit of God is in you. And it also says nothing is impossible for God. So when Satan whispers in your ear that forgiving that person is too hard, you say, you're right, too hard for me alone, but Satan, I'm not alone. I got my king with me. I got my king in me. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is alive in me. There's nothing impossible for him. So it may be hard. It may take time. It may not even be what I want to do in this moment, but I can do it because God is in me. God is with me. It is not weak to forgive. It is not only for the deserved, and it is not too hard if Christ is in you. You and I are freed to forgive. Because in Christ, you have been first forgiven. An immeasurable debt that we can't even imagine, paid for by your king. 
But in Christ, not only did he pay your debt of sin, but he comes in and redeems every part of you. You are healed and you are made whole in him. And lastly, you are free because you serve a just and merciful king who doesn't simply just rule and command you from a throne, but lives in you and will empower you to walk in faithfulness to the things he calls you. Friends, every culture in the last 2,000 years, every generation that has seen and tasted the salvation of Jesus looks radically different to the culture around them. And it's no different than today, especially how the people of God are freed to forgive one another from the heart. So I want to ask you as we close, do you know this king who paid your unpayable debt on the cross for you? Do you know him? Do you know that forgiveness? Do you know this king who not only paid for your sins, but transforms you into his beloved, healed, and whole child? And if you said yes to those, I'm going to ask you one more question. Do you trust him? Do you trust your king when he calls you to follow him, to obey him and exalt him by forgiving others from the heart? So I'm going to invite the praise team to come up right now. We're going to do something that we don't normally do as we end services. So as the team comes up, they're going to play some music, some instruments. And as they do, I want to give you some time to do some business with God. <laughs> Let his spirit come in and, and speak to you. Let him move in you. Is there someone in your life that you have been withholding forgiveness from? Someone you need to say because of Christ, you don't owe me anymore. I forgive you. Is there a forgiveness you need to be free to offer today? And maybe it's a phone call you need to make or a cup of coffee. Maybe the forgiveness you need to offer is to the person you rode to church with. Or maybe they're gone and you can't really speak to them, but in your heart, you need to be free to forgive them. Or maybe what you need right now as you work with God is just that first step to say, God, I want to want to. I want to want to forgive. That hurt is so deep. That pain is so strong. That debt is so big. I don't know if I have it in me. Spirit, give me the want to want to want to forgive, to follow you. Whatever it is, take a moment right now. Let the Spirit of God move in you. Let the truth of God's word and the gospel hope of Jesus Christ set you free to forgive. And today, let go because Jesus is holding on to you. And after a few minutes here of doing time with God, I'll close this in prayer. But right now, let the Spirit of God speak to you.
Maybe you're not quite sure what to do with this message because you've never received that forgiveness from your king. As you've been running, trying to be God of your own life, and he's showing you the debt that you've racked up. And right now, today, the forgiveness you need to deal with is first the forgiveness of God to you in Jesus. So I'm going to close in prayer, and after we sing a song in response, some pastors, elders, deacons will be up here if you want to pray, you want to talk, you want to process, we're here for you. But let's go to our great King and Savior. Father in heaven, we pray. Lord, we confess that there is one King, one ruler, who is both purely just and fully merciful, and it's our King Jesus. And that our debt of sin is uh, forever completely wiped away because of what he accomplished for us on the cross through his death and through his victorious resurrection, we know that our debt has fully been paid. And Lord, not only our debt of sin, but we say who we are, our identity, our worth, our value, our security, our peace, our hope is all wrapped up in the fact that our king lives again and we are his and he is mine. So Lord, whatever is going on in the hearts and souls of our church family, I pray Jesus enter in redeem, restore, forgive, make new. Lord, free us to let go and free, be free from the chains of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of a debt of soul that we've been looking to others to pay and let you pay for it for us. And Lord, I pray that we would be people of a divine forgiveness, forgiving each other from the heart and displaying to the world the greatness and beauty and love of the forgiveness of our King and Savior, Jesus. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.